Hi everyone, welcome to episode 10 of the SOS podcast. I'm your host Liv and in today's episode I'm chatting to someone very, very close to my heart. Um, I'm talking to Pippa from the Girlness Project. We are going to go through some of the things we wish we could tell our younger selves. Thank you so much for tuning in and I hope you enjoy. Hi guys, so in this week's podcast, I'm with someone very special. I'm here with Pippa. We actually met a year ago next week or the week after, which is mad to think back. And Pippa is somebody that's very special to me now. Um, I went to this talk and she was there talking about her story and really she was the motivator for me to get better she started up the girlness project which is all about helping young girls and I just think she's amazing and I think we could learn a lot from her so she's sitting here with me today so hi Pippa hi. <laughs> um, I'm so glad to finally have Aww. you on here it's been for the last month we've been talking about yeah. about getting sitting down and doing this and we've literally just chatted for like an hour (laughs) (laughs) it's just there's so much to say and I'm so so grateful to have the chance to speak to you again and I really can't believe it's been a year since I I last saw you so a lot's happened since then so it's a privilege to be yeah back in the same room thanks so what basically the theme of today we wanted to talk a bit about what we would tell our younger selves because I think there's a lot of things Mm. (laughs) that in hindsight I could tell my younger self. We were actually talking before about toolkits and Mm. the fact that you're not, you know, you don't come out of the womb and get given a toolkit of here's all your coping (laughs) mechanisms for your whole life. And then it'd be like, great, you have to kind of learn them. And I'd like to start with you, Pippa, and Mm. your journey um, and how you've got to where you are today. Okay, great. (laughs) It's a long story, so I'll try and condense it. I've got some tea, it's fine. (laughs) Go ahead. Yeah, I'll try and condense it um, as much as I can. But really, I guess the journey does start as a teenager because Mm. my teenage years were particularly challenging. And I started to develop a really toxic relationship with my body and with food. And I think lots of girls, particularly at that age, are going through puberty. We are dealing with big physiological changes in the body anyway. (laughs) Um, And for me, that was a real struggle. And it was partly due to external factors that were stresses in my life at the time. And I guess when I look back, the truth is that I didn't have the skills to be able to navigate that in a healthy way. Mm. My uh, internal dialogue, which was pretty unhelpful, was obsessed with um, the body in a way that I would say was pretty destructive. And I think it was one of the guiding forces that led me to then study fashion. Mm. We <laughs> both led down a similar path. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's so interesting. Like you said, the crossover for both of us is just so fascinating, really. But it led me to study fashion. And and ultimately, I then went to work in the beauty industry. And my first job when I left university was working for L'Oreal Paris in wow. the head office in London. It turns out I didn't feel so worth it working for them. <laughs> um, I feel more worth it not working for them. Mm. Um, 
I had some amazing experiences. It at the time was my dream job. I mean, I had interned for every summer. I'd worked at Vogue. I'd done six wow. seasons with the British Fashion Council um, for London Fashion Week. I had worked so hard to get there. But the reality for me was that my internal struggle coupled with the pressure of an of an industry that places our value on our looks mm. and our bodies was a recipe for disaster. <laughs> yeah. And so and yet I say that and yet it also became the catalyst for me to really wake up because it amplified a lot of my internal struggle in a way where I couldn't run from it anymore. And my relationship with self and body and my destructive behaviours around food and my internal dialogue pretty much have been kept to myself for about 15 years. Yeah, wow. So I had a moment actually on the tube where I was coming home I mean, I was working, you know, crazy hours and I was on the tube. It was like a winter's night and it was kind of miserable and everybody on the tube was like ill or coughing and it was raining (laughs) and it was just like the most miserable day ever. And I had this moment on the tube where I was looking around and thinking, what am I doing? Mm. What am I doing? I am so unhappy. And to this day, I kind of, I guess we just have these moments of insight for some reason, but something prompted me when I got home to write on a piece of paper, what makes you happy? And on that list, I wrote um, people, I wrote places. And one of the things that I wrote down was yoga. And I thought, okay, I had found a yoga practice when I was at university but it was always just in addition to a workout class mm. so it was like the stretch before or the stretch after but it kind of kept me coming back and I thought right I am going to get to a class and I picked a random class in London with a random teacher a totally random style of yoga it was actually Scaravelli yoga mm. so it's not even a kind of widespread uh style and I got to that class and something happened where I think for the first time Scaravelli yoga as a practice is very um, slow paced it's extremely detailed it's not about shapes it is about feeling Mm -hmm. and something happened in that class where I think I settled into my body in a way that I literally hadn't done for Mm. most of my adult life. And I left and I thought, okay, (laughs) I, something's just happened (laughs) Um, and I need more of it. And that was the catalyst that then sparked me to think, okay, maybe I should consider a teacher training because if I did a teacher training, then I would be putting my well-being at the center of my world. Well, the highest on my priority mm. list. And yeah, the shorter version of the story is that actually I went on to then train with that teacher. Um, I trained, my training was two years. And the two-year training was like doing another degree. <laughs> oh, yeah. And it was really confronting because it was two years of practice where I was being guided to come into my body 
And as somebody who had spent most of my adult life in a disembodied state, um, That's scary. Yeah, really <laughs> scary. And you're having to face that because I think being in your body sometimes can feel uncomfortable, absolutely, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And we are, I didn't even know that I was disconnected because mm. we're often in a place of numbing if we have an addiction or if we are struggling with a mental health issue. Yeah. So actually, our feelings our feeling system, our orientating system is not necessarily even very active. Mm. And I I went through the training. Um, it then spurred me to get therapy because I was doing so much work through my body and then it was bringing so much emotion through my system. And so I went on this kind of big journey and I started, when I finished, I started teaching. I was working, I'd kind of got my time in the fashion or beauty industry. Um, I'd moved from beauty PR into kind of health and wellness PR by this point. By the end of my training, I thought I can't keep doing this and my full-time job. And I got a job basically just working in a studio um, a yoga studio and they the uh, director there noticed that my background was in marketing and kind of thought oh you could be great looking after our community and it kind of sparked me moving myself into the yoga space Mm -hmm. and eventually I got my time you know I started teaching more and I got my time down in the yoga kind of marketing world down to Uh, part-time and then freelance and then eventually I was teaching full-time one of the big pieces of my own journey was working with my teacher for five years weekly one-to-one so that Mm. was a major body process and what I realized through my own experience of working one-to-one and working with other bodies is that simply the body can be a difficult place to call home And that doesn't matter if it's because we have an injury or we're just tired or we are coming up against some kind of emotional or psychological challenge. All of us will experience the body as a difficult place to call home. And so I felt really strongly that I needed to find a way to bring some of the work and learning that I had then integrated to work specifically with girls and young women because that was the time for me where I think I needed additional resource and support that I didn't have Mm. in terms of the workshops you do with the girls Mm. I'm really interested to hear more about Mm. what you teach and how sort of where you teach it and what the girls learn and sure so I teach in a variety of different capacities really I work with uh, once a week I'm in the NHS and I work with adolescent girls that are in intensive treatment program for eating disorders so that's obviously a clinical setting it's also I feel crisis management mm-hmm. because by the time we've reached that point we are with girls that are really unwell yeah. and they are out of school as well so it's a challenging set up to work in the work that I do there is yoga as a broad term I have eight girls at a time 
What that looks like is um, we come together as a group every week. We have a check-in. I might have two girls that decide they just want to sleep for the time that we're together. I might have four girls that want to be in some kind of restful position, in which case we'll prop ourselves up with cushions and blankets. And the other two girls might want to move, in which case I'll facilitate movement. So all the time, however I'm working, I'm trying to come back to those two things of how do we develop our self-awareness connection with body and how do we self-regulate. So that's in the kind of clinical setting. And then I work in the education system, so primary and secondary school, Uh, The youngest I have worked with are girls age seven. The BBC actually reported a few years ago that girls as young as six start to lose faith in their own talents. Oh, that's so sad. I think the work can go younger, actually. Um, But the work that I do in schools is really... It's specific in the sense that I guess I'm using a lot of my learning from my fashion and media background to try and support a discussion around some of the issues that teenagers face. So mm. one of the workshops that I teach is on media literacy and navigating social media. I also teach a workshop which is called The Art of Self-Compassion. We know from scientific research now that a self-compassion practice supports our resilience so it's really important for school and the yoga and meditation is always a part of the workshops that I do as a way for us to come into feeling channel and the body and part of the workshop is discussion part of it might be me sharing my story We also do quite a lot of journaling work as well, which I find is really, really impactful for girls. And then the other work I do is one-to-one. So I work a lot with teenagers and women one-to-one and that mirrors my own journey of working one-to-one with my teacher. So for me, I'm particularly passionate about working in that way and being one-to-one is a whole different ball game to maybe teaching a workshop or speaking in assembly when there's a hundred girls in the room so I'm kind of used to working in very different ways and there's you know and yet there's a kind of commonality in what I see Mm. and a commonality in terms of our struggle as well and I think I realized that I'm in this very privileged position because when I work with teenagers in particular I am not their mother yeah and I'm also not a teacher who has an academic agenda so I can be somebody that falls into the remit of the support team Mm. but my role is really about offering my presence (laughs) and and offering some of my story where it's relevant and I think that is the bit that girls relate to and it's the bit that I don't think they have access to so and a lot of girls don't have somebody to look up to sometimes Mm. or to even just have a female presence some people don't have a mum or do you know what I mean it's and the fact is that even if we come from a really loving family 
we might not want to talk about some of this challenge. Mm. Teenagers, <laughs> you know, some of it is just that you're a teenager and you don't want to talk to your mom or you don't want to talk to your sister. And often I get kind of comments from girls or I after every workshop the girls fill out a feedback form and often the things that are written on there are around you know I finally feel like somebody understands or I have realized that I'm not alone and the fact is they might have had conversations with mothers or sisters but they just don't hear it (laughs) and I think the fact that I worked in fashion and beauty also for teenagers they listen I'll never forget the first workshop that I ever taught to a group of teenagers and I did the introduction and then at the end I said okay before we get started does anybody have any questions and this girl put up her hand and she said what was the biggest celebrity that you worked with (laughs) (laughs) and it was Beyonce so it was a pretty major one (laughs) and I said Beyonce and the whole room was just yeah even I'm like that (laughs) (laughs) it was it was quite a moment for me when I was working at L'Oreal but I had this moment where the whole room was like and I was like now I've got their attention yeah you know so I think it was also that realization for me where I thought oh all of that past life now serves this yeah that was the reason that I had to swing so far that way to be able to swing so far back nobody wants to learn about sex education from their male geography teacher no it's true. <laughs> you know so it's like how do we find a way to share a message and skills and resources from a position where teenage girls will hear it yeah so that's how the girlness project was born <laughs> wow and i i'm so inspired by your story because i think that when you're in fashion especially mm. We were saying, because you're rushing about so much, you're so out of tune of yourself. So it took a, it would have taken a lot for you to step back and say, okay, this isn't working. Like, And actually, it's very easy to then stay in that because it's safe and you just think, okay, I'm getting by, it's fine, I'm not going to move. If there's someone listening that's maybe in fashion or mm. a f- high-paced um, you know, industry where self-love isn't really a thing mm-hmm. <laughs> and um it's not really taught and you you kind of you have to be a robot sometimes in those what would if you could give somebody some advice that's mm-hmm. in that and they're trying to be a bit more present in their body what would you what what's something they could do that would bring them back in such a good question I think firstly to acknowledge that For me personally, the beauty and fashion industry were pretty toxic, but that was because of my personal journey at that point in time. But I think for all of us, the fact is that life means that we are often having to override our own internal embodied response. So we're tired, but we have to go to work Mm -hmm. or we've a mother and we have to get up through the night to feed a baby or we're hungry but we're just about to walk into a a meeting so we are coming up against these um, pieces of information from our system that we are overriding all the time Mm -hmm. so I think whatever job we do we have to have tools and skills to support us in returning back to an embodied state And really, really simply, the three things that I often share in my workshops are firstly the breath. 
so powerful so powerful and also something that we have access to at any point so I heard somebody say once the only things that we have control over in life are two things and the first is our breath and the second is our response Mm, that's very true and I think it's a really helpful guide because nobody can take your breath away from you and simply taking a couple of breaths in it is a profound and we know the physiological benefits of that that can settle us into a state of presence Mm. so very simply hand on heart maybe one hand on your belly and taking three big breaths in it sounds so simple and yet I haven't done that for the majority of my life (laughs) You know, perhaps if I'd had that as a reference point at school, it could have been helpful. Um, So the breath, definitely a really powerful tool. The second is, and we hear this word a lot in our yoga practice, is to ground. And I think really that's about coming into contact with our feet. So even as we're sat here talking, I can have both of my feet in the ground I should do that now (laughs) we'll do it together (laughs) and so our awareness can be our soles of the feet on the floor so Mm. even though we're talking and we're in dialogue there's still a sense of us really being in our body so I'm not giving a hundred percent of myself away to be out Mm -hmm. part of my awareness is staying in and I think the breath and being in contact with the ground can help us do that so if we are in a situation at work that's challenging or we're having an argument with our boyfriend because he didn't load the dishwasher properly or, you know, our sister has done something annoying, we can have these conversations while still staying in an embodied sense, in an embodied place. trying to stay calm during that. Exactly. So... The final one is, in fact, I have one right here, which is an essential oil. Do you know, I smelled that when I came in the room and I was like, because I've just come, I've come from Brighton to London to meet Pippa in the lovely Devonshire Club. And I walked in and I was feeling a bit, because when you're on the tube, you're rushing about. And I was a little bit late. So I was like, okay, I'm going to get here. And um, I walked into the room and just smelt this oil and my body instantly (laughs) went, oh it's all fine exactly so you said it there's the response oh in your gosh. body so this is i always have one with me this is actually the peppermint, a, a peppermint one. oil that smells amazing and i'll just leave it there yes it smells <laughs> really good in. and i use it all the time i actually use it i teach once a week in the nhs and i uh I use the oils with the girls that I work with there. But even just a few breaths in of an essential oil, again, it brings us back into presence. Mm. So when we take a big breath in, we're fully occupied by that. Our senses are fully occupied by that. So we step out of perhaps worrying about things that have already happened or concerns about what's to come and just come back into a moment of presence. So they are three things that I guess are quite practical. I never go anywhere without an essential That's oil That's an amazing tip. I've never thought of that. Um, my friend who's a mother to a teenage girl, she works a lot with essential oils and she, her daughter was having a panic attack and she put a drop of oil on her hand and got her daughter to breathe in and she managed to soothe herself enough for her panic attack to stop. so we know that they are powerful powerful tools even though they seem so simple and I think whatever job we do those three things can be helpful do you feel like now you can sort of send to yourself quite quickly 
Yeah, absolutely. I think um, it doesn't always come easily, but I feel that I am, I feel I have the tools now to self-soothe. Mm. And that doesn't mean I necessarily get there quickly. (laughs) It doesn't mean that I don't feel stressed or anxious or or have days where I'm overwhelmed. Absolutely not, because I'm human. But it does mean that I feel I, I have the skills and the ability to bring myself back. One of the things that I come to, and I started noticing... Uh, that I was doing this in a really challenging time personally was simply coming to the ground Mm. so literally just lying on the floor and that was the intelligence of my system that knew how to ground Mm. so I think and it was a big realization for me because I realized that not only was I noticing that my body wanted to do that I was then facilitating it yeah and that was just last year so it was a I guess a marker for me of oh you can still be in challenging times and you know there's not a lot that I can control or do about that but here I am watching myself do something yeah that if you said that to me five or ten years ago just wouldn't have felt accessible no so I think I've definitely developed I guess a level of resilience or I think more than resilience, a level of self-compassion towards my body that means I'm perhaps more able to follow it or to listen to it. And ultimately, that's what I'm trying to teach within Mm. the workshops and the talks that I do for the Garners Project. It's about how do we develop self-awareness and how do we develop the skills and the tools to emotionally self-regulate. Yeah. And it's practice, like we're all still learning. Yeah, Yeah. daily, daily Um, practice. And over the past year, actually, since our since the talk at Devonshire Mm. Club, I've gone through quite a few different sort of ups and downs. And um, I'd say that the one thing that kept quite steady from August, I think I started trying it, was my morning routine, which is something I do most days now, which is I get up and I make sure I have enough time to meditate, do some yoga, even though I'm not that great at it, but I love doing it. So I do it anyway. And it's at home. So if I stumble, it's fine. No one's there to judge me. Um and actually, I really love yoga now. At the start, I was like, I know I look really silly doing this. And now I actually just, I'm so in my body in that moment. I'm not yeah. thinking about how I look. Um, and things like that help you. And that's what—that's one thing I wish I could tell my younger self mm-hmm. is it's okay to have time for you. You don't always have to be giving parts of yourself mm-hmm. all the time and giving and giving. You need to recharge yourself. Absolutely. Um, and that's my time to recharge. Um, it's almost like swimming upstream to actually carve out time to have that continuous check-in. Yeah. And that is a skill. That's yeah. something that we have to learn. It's not something that we're taught. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, I realized on reflection through my kind of uh, young adult life I realized that I had somehow found or been drawn to female mentors if I say the word mentors that's the kind of closest that I can get to but they feel more like earth angels to me Mm. and they are three women in particular and when I look at them and think about how what was I so drawn to and still they are 
present in my life and amazing, amazing women. But one of the things that I think I was most drawn to was this deep sense of settling in themselves. Mm. So they are women that when I am around, I feel the sense of grounding. And that's because of their own commitment to these practices. That's because of their own commitment to their level of self-awareness. And on a deep, um, in a deep bodily response, we feel that. You know, mm. our mirror neurons literally pick up on who we're with and, and what they are embodying. Yeah. <laughs> if we're with someone that's stressed and anxious, we'll probably start feeling pretty stressed and anxious. And I think that the level of insight that we have to one another's lives is also just not helpful. <laughs> um, NHS data shows now that in the last decade the level of self-harm for girls under the age of 17 has risen by 68%. Wow, that's a big number. Big numbers. And we know that the level of mental health issues in young people are rising all the time. I don't want to say that social media is the only, you know, Mm. the only answer. I think it also has so much good if it's used in a healthy way. But I do... No, because it comes up in our discussions all the time that it is a big cause of anxiety in in girls particularly so I think it's we just can't ignore it no and I think if you're human um it's almost like human instinct to compare yourself to others and gauge the situation by where other people are in the room and what they look like and I think social media if you think about how we use it or how I used to use it is you'd be scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. Your brain is just getting a million messages all at once mm. of different bodies, different messages, different issues. That is going to be overwhelming and affect your mental health. It totally. just will do. Totally. Um, and it's addictive because I'm, I'm not going to lie. I can scroll sometimes still, yeah, <laughs> even though I know absolutely. it's not good for me. I will absolutely. do it. And you can get sucked in so easily. Um And I think it's not even just for young girls. I mean, even I find sometimes I need to just have a break, put my phone down. All of us. Yeah. And I think the other thing that comes to my mind is that, that, you know, we kind of, we we go into a numb state when we're in that position of scrolling or we're not in a conscious place. Mm -hmm. And the other challenge that I see for girls is that just as an example a couple of weeks ago one of the girls that I was with she was she came in to a session with me and she was all fired up because she had really bad period pains and she'd been at school and kind of hunched over her desk and had her hand on her tummy and her history teacher who was a man had said sit up straight you can't sit forwards like that you need to sit up straight and she was in so much pain And the intelligence of her system was that she was kind of hunched over and she was self-soothing and she had her hand on her belly. Mm. And that embodied response was being overridden by somebody else. Yeah. And that is happening all the time for teenagers. (laughs) And women just in general. We're getting told what to do with our bodies all the time. Absolutely. And I think as much consciousness as we can shine on that, then when we do come to social media or we're in dialogue with someone and actually we start feeling, you know, this doesn't feel good or mm. this actually is making me uncomfortable or it's making me feel low, yeah. then the more light we shine on that, the easier it is for us to kind of snap ourselves out and think, okay, 
yeah. you know, now I'm going to make a nope. different choice. Yeah. yeah, it's so true. If we were to go back to the topic of mm. the podcast of what we tell our, you know, younger selves, there's so much I'd tell her. Yeah, <laughs> but if she was standing in front of me, there's a there's obviously if you take peppermint oil in your bag, <laughs> <laughs> breathe more. Yeah. Um, and I think what you say about embodiment, we could talk about that for hours. Mm-hmm. I find it so interesting because I was so out of tune with my body for so long. Um, so I think anything that we can do where we listen, our bodies know what we need. Like they honestly do that. It will tell you when it's hungry. It will tell you when it's in pain. Um, it's constantly trying to keep us alive <laughs> and it's literally working hard every day our hearts beat without us having to think about it like even that is a miracle in itself Absolutely. Um, so the more we listen to it the more in tune you do become because I used to be I used to think meditation was all especially when I was working in fashion it was like meditation what I'd have time for that exactly. um, but as soon as meditation doesn't have to be you know like I said candle lit sitting on a a lovely you know luxury chair it can literally be as simple as Pippa said just breathing is meditating in a way because you're coming out of your head and into your body right absolutely absolutely and I think you've just touched on something which is so important which is actually our bodies are wired to survive Mm. and I think when I realized that there was almost this kind of settling in myself that I am even in struggle my body is trying to support myself in healing and moving forwards yeah and actually a lot of the time we're just kind of getting in the way of that yeah (laughs) but our wiring is to keep going and I think if we can drop into that deep level of trust in ourselves then we perhaps get out of the way (laughs) and allow the body to do do its thing yeah Yeah. and I think that that you know talking to teenage self one of the things that and I mentioned it right at the beginning but it's almost this acknowledgement that yes the body can be a difficult place to call home but it can also be a source of joy it can be a source of pleasure it can be a source of inspiration it can also and is daily a vessel for information (laughs) about Mm. how we're feeling how our external environment is impacting our internal conditions and so when we think of it like that then it's a whole different ball game to it being a nuisance yeah (laughs) which for me a lot of the time it was just such a painful place to be yeah our bodies are as you said a vessel we only get one unfortunately we can't just go to you know tesco and say i'm sick of this one now can i have another one (laughs) exchange (laughs) exchange please you can't you you only get one it's constantly trying to keep you alive and the the one thing we can do is respect it enough to say okay i'm gonna listen to you today and actually when we do that we have more choice yeah that's what i think you're saying is that we suddenly have more choice about our actions and whether or not they are self-soothing or self-sabotaging because we're making those decisions every day yeah (laughs) you know on an hourly basis and if you fall off the bandwagon like we Mm. were just saying before we came on the podcast we've both had particularly busy weeks and I've neglected my morning routine this Mm. week because my body has just said to me do you know what you need more sleep this week you're not going to get up at half five Mm. you're going to get up at half six you know you just need to listen and not beat yourself up 
about these things if you forget to breathe one day it's fine yeah your body's still gonna try and keep you alive regardless absolutely and I this was a couple of years ago now but I realized around that idea of um I'd got to this place where I thought okay every day I have an opportunity to start over Mm. and then something I can't remember what it was maybe somebody challenged me on it but I realized that actually why am I why am I only giving myself permission to do that the next day yeah because actually I can make that decision at any moment that I can make a different choice. Mm -hmm. So I think even to not delay it, you know, I was delaying it in myself like, oh, well, tomorrow I'll be different. Start now. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) we can start right now. And then again, it's we're operating from an empowered place that in every moment we have choice. Yeah, I agree. Thank you so much. This has been so, I could literally sit and chat to Pippa for hours I think I feel the same <laughs> I know we um, did speak for like an hour before we even turned the podcast I know on, didn't we? um but thank you so much for taking the time I know this week's been super busy for you My so pleasure. thank you so much if you need to if you want to contact Pippa <laughs> or see what she's doing she's on Instagram as the girlness project yeah. um and I I highly suggest checking her out um and thank you so much for being my pleasure and also just to acknowledge you Liv and everything that you have been through to create this I've been listening to your podcasts and I'm so so pleased that we met last year and it's no easy feat to do what you've done so I really hope that this message reaches the people that it needs to and thank you for your time well thank you so much i keep getting emotional today (laughs) (laughs) it's a nice thing (laughs) um but yeah i'll speak to you guys on the next one thank you so much for tuning in bye